Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How did get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how get 20, 20, how get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There are few areas of nutrition as deeply rooted in society as fermented dairy. Foods such as yogurt, cheese and kefir made by fermenting milk with live bacteria have long been a staple of healthy diets. Now, kefir is a fermented drink derived from the Turkish word for joy and pleasure, which dates back as far as 10,000 BC and is loaded for its ability to improve digestion and boost immune systems. Fermented dairy can be rich in probiotics, that's live bacteria that nourish your gut made up of trillions of microorganisms that live in your intestinal tract and govern everything from how well you digest the food you eat to the way your body absorbs nutrients. Yo Valley Kefir is lovingly made with organic British milk and 14 distinctive strains of lactic cultures for maximum gut flora diversity. Creamy and tangy, it literally packs billions of live bacteria in every spoonful. Available in natural, mango and passion fruit, blueberry and strawberry flavours, the daily boost you need to try is in the yogurt aisle at all the major supermarkets. To find out more, head over to yovalley.co.uk. Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. While the majority of us are vaccinated, the UK is experiencing an alarming drop in vaccination rates. In the last 12 months, the rate has been nearly 90%, with the necessary rate considered to prevent outbreaks at 95%. It's a startling fact that's scaring us health professionals and importantly, it's opening up the wider society to be affected by the choices of individuals who opt to not get vaccinated. To help us truly understand whether vaccines are critical or if their supposed side effects need to be taken seriously is Dr. David Robert Grimes. David is an author, physicist and assistant professor at Dublin City University and cancer researcher at Oxford University. Hello, David. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's a pleasure to have you back on Food for Thought. Oh, thanks for having me. No, um, well, you're a number one bestseller now, author. How's the book going? 
I I believe it's going well. Um, I don't I don't pry too much because I'm sure if I pry, I'll depress myself. So I just exist in a state of happy ignorance, which is pretty much how I live my life. So, <laughs> well, we're talking about some very serious topics today. So um, the first time I think if we start this episode. So it's a very different subject, actually, from the book, although it does have complete relevance. Um, why is it that in the last year there has been such a significant drop in, in people getting vaccinated? This has actually been a trend for, for some time. Okay. So we are seeing mass outbreaks of diseases like measles, which were once virtually eradicated. For example, in 2016, we had about 5,000 cases of measles across Europe. In 2018, we had 82,576, over 15-fold increase. Now, there's different reasons for that. One of the major reasons is complacency. Mm. People have become inured to the things that vaccines prevent. We no longer think about people twisted by polio or people dying of smallpox or even people afflicted by measles. That Mm. has left our cultural consciousness. And so we go, oh, well, a disease like measles, it can't be that big a deal. Why do I need to get vaccinated? But it is a big deal. Mm. For example, a single case of measles infection has an or naught of 12 to 18, which means that every one case leads to 12 to 18 secondary cases. That's terrifying. Really. The other thing that is a major modern problem is the rise of online uh, vaccine disinformation. Mm. And I use disinformation, not misinformation, because it's often deliberate. The idea... Um, We've always had an an anti-vaccine corps. They've been small but vocal, and they've existed since the time of Jenner in the 1700s, after the first immunizations. Yeah, that brings me back to pathophysiology or whatever it was. (laughs) Absolutely, But what has really happened of late is that um, these anti-vaccine activists have absolutely weaponized social media to an extent that is unprecedented, to the point where disinformation about vaccination now outnumbers by far reputable information. Mm. And that drives a thing called vaccine hesitancy. Most parents who don't vaccinate their children aren't dyed-in-the-wool anti-vaccine zealots. They're afraid. They're nervous, anxious parents. And they go online and they get information and they're afflicted by a thing called the availability heuristic, where the most immediate, uh, extreme information tends to have a disproportionate effect, which is part of the problem. I completely agree. As a mum-to-be myself, uh, the internet is full of, I mean, the slightest worry that you get, and I can only imagine it gets worse as a parent, that something could cause harm to your child. You freak out. You will turn to the internet Mm. and you will see mum's net forums, all sorts of conspiracy theories. They are there straight away online. I mean, what are some of the primary diseases that vaccinations can actually allow us to control them? Anything infectious that Mm -hmm. we we have a a vaccine for is, is in theory, controllable. The classic example, as we've already alluded to, is measles, because it is so absolutely virulent and so aggressive. Um, Obviously, we usually get MMR, which is measles, mumps, rubella. Actually, current outbreaks of mumps at the moment around Ireland and England, uh, because again, and this goes back to, we might touch on it later on, the... um, the unnecessary panic, false panic caused by this in the early 2000s meant that parents didn't vaccinate their children back then. Those children grow from toddlers to being adults now with no cover, no protection. And quels the priests, they all get mumps, which is a pretty unpleasant condition to get. Um, so that kind of the other classic example of a protective vaccine that I have a deep personal interest in is the HPV vaccine, yes. which prevents 
about 5% of all cancers worldwide, including 98% of cervical cancers. And this is a vaccine that people can now get to to avoid this. And as as a cancer researcher, I'm banging my head off a table trying to get people to to get this. And yet we're being hit by disinformation about it as well. So it's it is a bit depressing. Well, it's also it's there to protect society. But like you said, the amount of disinformation that is out there, it does sway people. It really does. It does. Yeah. And I think when it comes to people's lives being at risk, it's, it's serious. I know that you, you do have a personal interest, particularly in that vaccination. And for anyone listening, if any of you know anyone, and that's probably all of you actually that have been affected by cancer or going through something, if there were a chance to prevent something, surely you would wish that on somebody. Absolutely. Or if you see the consequences of, mm-hmm. of infectious disease. I mean, even something like measles that has this weird... Uh, aura around it that it's it's not no big deal. It kills about one in a thousand people who are infected. And when you have an outbreak with every single case leading to twelve to eighteen secondary cases, it's not long before you have the kind of numbers needed for death. Even if you don't die, you can have permanent brain damage, permanent hearing loss, permanent neurological conditions. This is not something that's trivial, which is why we vaccinate against it. Yeah. But because we've become complacent on top of this, mm-hmm. we can convince ourselves, oh, it's no big deal. It is a big deal. Yeah, it really is. And I think for our listeners out there, so most people will be aware it's an injection of vaccination. But what exactly does a vaccination do once it's in our system? If you could just talk through, what does it tell the body to do? So there's different types of, of, of vaccination, but there's ones that use live or attenuated viruses, and they're not really, they, they don't really exist as much anymore. Essentially what vaccines do is they are uh, training programs for your immune system. So they typically expose your immune system to some antigen, Mm-hmm. which is um, a protein or a marker that tells you something about a particular virus. It's kind of like the analogy I like to use is, let's say you have someone you want to ban from a nightclub because they're trouble. This right? is going to be a good analogy. Okay. Well, if you give the bouncers a picture of the person that you don't want to let in, they can stop that person getting in. So a vaccination is essentially doing that to your immune it's system. It's a picture of it's your kind, immune system. Yeah, it's, it's not, it cannot give you the virus. It cannot cause it. It's essentially a, a representation of it that the immune system can train on. And once the immune system is trained, when the real thing comes in there, it knows how to deal with it. It knows to stop it. And that is why it's such a, an absolutely brilliant... Like I have to put this in context. After clean water and sanitation, there is nothing in human history that has saved more lives than vaccination. Yeah. I mean, the numbers are absolutely staggering. If you look back at childhood mortality statistics over years, you see spikes where, you know, we dying in, in infancy was a common thing mm. for years. In fact, there's a misconception we're living a lot longer. We're only living a bit longer than our forebears did. We're just dying a lot less in childhood, which really skews up the statistics, right? So now we have that. Um, why we would ever want to go back to the dark ages, I, I cannot fathom. No, I know. It, it's interesting because when I put out online that I was getting the flu jab, for instance, people genuinely messaged me saying, that's horrendous, you're literally going to get the flu. So I think people don't understand, like you just said, that it is actually a little army your body's preparing to protect you from. It's not going to give you flu. Absolutely. It would defeat the purpose if it gave you flu. It wouldn't vaccinate you from it. Um, and actually, one of the questions I get asked a lot is if, if the flu vaccine is so good, why do we get one every year? <laughs> and actually, there's a bit of genius, an immunological genius going on here. The flu mutates rapidly, right? There's different strains of it. So what scientists try to do every year 
is preempt the strain that is going to be dominant that year. Ooh. And they reformulate it to basically say, like, you know, it's going to be a version of this. It's going to look a bit like this, a bit like this. So even if they don't get it exactly right, your immune system gets at least some protection from it. And if they get it bang on, which they often do, it essentially has full protection, which I'm is fantastic. convinced it's why I haven't got a cold or any flu this year because I had the jab. I mean, I've had it. I felt like something was coming on, but I feel like my immune system's stronger. It's just kind of well, it would certainly off. be trained. Yeah, it would I mean, be. Yeah, ab- 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 <laughs> absolutely. And, and you know, if, you can, if you can preempt danger... Like, as I say, prevention is always a lot better than cure. Yes. That is an old adage, but it is certainly one that makes a lot of sense. It really does. I mean, but there's also a lot of resistance reported now, isn't there, as well, to vaccines in children. But it is perfectly safe for them. Yeah. I mean, again, I always point out that, and I I guess because this is a research interest of mine and a personal interest, you have to look at where these uh, bits of disinformation come from. These come from a cohort of people that have no problems with mendacity because they are ideologically opposed to vaccination. And what they do, and their intention, for your listeners, is to scare you. They want to scare you so you don't vaccinate. They've been doing this for 250-odd years, okay? They're they're not even using new myths. What, what's quite funny, if you follow uh, vaccine falsehoods, they recycle their own zombie myths so often for different vaccines that you kind of go, well, this couldn't possibly be. They also will allege a kaleidoscope of, uh, you know, ostensible adverse effects. Now, that's not how real, you know, drug interactions work. For example, if a drug does have a negative side effect, you'll see a pattern of that emerging in the data. So even if it's a small side effect, you'll eventually see it. And that happens all the time. We Mm -hmm. find out that drugs have a weird side effect when we, for a small cohort, when we look at it. Vaccines tend to be studied, like, for a long time, Right. These don't really exist. And if someone gives you a kaleidoscope of every reaction under the sun, you should get suspicious. Mm. Because actually, usually something has a particular side effect or a series of side effects. And what they're trying to do is widen the net to scare you with the biggest possible barrage of myths they can throw at you. A hundred percent. And I have to say, I think it's the autism link to, is it the MMR? Is that yeah, the autism I link? Yeah, I can tell you a story about that yeah, if you like. Yeah, please do. So just to give your listeners some context, in 1998... Uh, I was still a young man. <laughs> am, I, am I young now? I don't uh, know. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to comment on that. I think one, I'm the same know, age David. as you. Am I? Or I'm still, yeah, okay, probably about okay. the same age. <laughs> well, you're obviously very young. You look youthful. You look Thank radiant. You. I can Thank see you. Thank you. All the praise. Okay. Yeah, yeah, 1998. Yeah. So 1998, um, a gastroenterologist called Andrew Wakefield published a paper in a reputable medical journal, a very reputable one called The Lancet. And in this, in the discussion section, which is where scientists can speculate a little bit, he suggested there might be a link between the measles, mump, rubella vaccine and autism. Just maybe. He didn't have that much data for it. He just thought, maybe we should look into this. Right? Now, he did something very unusual. He called a press conference and announced to the world that he had discovered this link between autism and MMR. And within two years, that story had taken off. Everyone was terrified about it because this is a common vaccine everyone gets. And autism was suddenly in the public consciousness. That's the availability heuristic again. People weren't, you know, had no memory of of children dying of measles, but they did have some kind of cultural awareness of autism as a rising thing. The reason autism rates went up, by the way, is that we changed the diagnostic criteria for autism and children that had once been institutionalized were then suddenly mainstreamed. So, you know, this is not much mystery there. yeah. Yeah, But it played into a fear that everyone had. And, you know, of, of, of my child won't be normal, whatever normal is in this case, you know. And it really drove vaccination rates down. Now, Wakefield, 
is an interesting character. Um, very quickly, a journalist called Brian Deere was able to dig into him and find out that he had taken bribes to do a lot of this. He was trying to patent his own uh, rival tri- triple vaccine to this one. He had taken money from um, solicitors who wanted him to find evidence of damage, which didn't exist. Turns out he was corrupt. I, and I can say that without any fear of being sued because that's what the... Most of the medical community <clears throat> will... Well, the, the General Medical Council yeah, actually did rule you. that about him. Yeah. He is corrupt. He's a he's an inveterate liar. I've dealt with him personally. I've been on... in, in And... Um, I can tell you, he. I, I can't repeat my opinion of it because um, I'm not allowed to use those words on this, this podcast. This is a very PC podcast. Exactly. I, I can see the glare you're giving the nod, like, <laughs> please don't say it. But there was colourful four-letter words in there. Yes, yes. But this is a man uh, with, with no morals and, no man, and, and, and a sheer penchant for, for mendacity. Now, he's been entirely debunked and studies... Uh, for sa- and of course everyone panicked so there was more studies on safety and time and time again they show there was no link between autism and any vaccination and particularly not MMR and yet it's such a driven fear because it became a part of the arsenal of the anti-vaccine group who adopted this it remains I've received messages about it personally saying, oh, my children developed autism after they got the MMR jab. And it could have been coincidence, you know, it may not have been, well, probably wasn't anything to do with the jab. But I think people are absolutely convinced because of this one, this one man has caused all these problems. Oh, yeah, I do time for him. Yeah. I was about to swear again, but I know you have to we edit it out, it. so I, I won't. Thank um, you, saving the job. <laughs> saving you a little bit of effort. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, it, it is hard to describe the contempt I would hold that person in because they have directly, and I told him this to his face, that he had blood in his hands, and he doesn't care because no. this is an interesting trait that you find in a lot of anti... Uh, you might ask, I've mentioned the ideological... Now, my, I have to do full disclaimer here, I have recently written a book on why people get things wrong and why... Um, why certain myths perpetuate and how disinformation affects us. Yeah. And a large chunk of that I had to concentrate on psychology because it turns out if you want to understand why we mess up, we have to look at ourselves first. It's very good. Book. So you might ask, well, thank you very much, shameless plug. Um, <laughs> but you, you might ask, then why, I, I've mentioned that there's an ideologically um, hardcore cohort of, of vocal anti, anti-vaccination activists. If they're so wrong, why do they persist? Because that's a question I get a lot. There's a few reasons um, psychologists have looked because of the damage they do to public health. Psychologists have spent a lot of time looking into them. Uh, one of the things we find is that they have um, an addiction to simple narratives. They don't like the complexity of, of medicine. They like uh, very simple stories. That's one factor. But a far bigger factor is narcissism. And this is with all conspiracy theorists, by the way, of which anti-vaxxers are a subset For example, to believe that vaccines are this dangerous, you'd have to believe that the entire medical and scientific community are lying to you. It starts multiplying uh, ad nauseum. And that does happen. People do believe that. They do. But to believe that, to really believe that you have arcane knowledge and all these experts don't, requires a degree of narcissism. So, for example, there's another thing that we call the Dunning-Kruger effect. Oh, we we like this one We like this one. Please do go into it it again, though. That would be lovely. It's essentially um, an observation that people who are very, very incompetent at something often falsely attribute themselves with, with, with skills that they don't have. In fact, the Bertrand Russell, the, 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 the mathematician and philosopher, famously said that the problem with the world is that the intelligent are full of doubt while the stupid are cocksure. 
And the Dunning-Kruger effect is a little bit of that with more, you know, uh, with yeah. more research behind it. When they study anti-vaxxers who say, you know, there's a link between autism and the MMR vaccine, and when they do like an independent assessment of their knowledge, and then they ask them to appraise their own knowledge, they both score worse on their understanding of both vaccination and autism, and yet rate themselves as the most informed. And you see this all the time on social media. Well, these these gurus yeah. appointing themselves who know... I'm going to swear again. I'm not going to swear. I'm, I'm biting my lip. <laughs> but they, they, uh, well, things, these people are killing children, essentially, to sate their own ego because they like people thinking that they're a guru. They like think, thinking that they're special, that they have some arcane knowledge. And think of how it works for them. They go into a room. Uh, they know nothing because we already know they know very little, right, about the things they opine on. They go in and they can deal with any scientist or any doctor or any immunologist. And despite the fact that they have no training and no education and no understanding, they can convince themselves that they know more and they feel special. Mm. Screw those guys. Mm. It's it, oh, you've explained it beautifully, actually. Um, well, I don't know if beautifully is a good description of that, but you explained it very well because we see it in terms for me as a nutritionist, people claiming yeah. that they they're nutrition experts, but actually, a lot of the time, this is where it gets difficult with the psychology element because they genuinely believe what they are saying is right, like Absolutely. you said. So it's not that they're inherently a bad person, and this is where it becomes interesting. Um, I'm trying to put a very balanced point out there that they just are convinced that what they know is right. Therefore, they think they're helping people by... Sh- I'm being lovely about this in a way, but right. perhaps they just are convinced that they're helping the world, but actually they are wrong. Are they convinced they're helping the world or do they like the attention or, of yes, appearing You can look world? at it so many different ways. Because the psychologists have a slightly more negative take yeah, on no, it when I've you look course, into it. Course. You're being very diplomatic I'm and I appreciate that. I'm trying to be but, very diplomatic, but when it does come to future generations and something so serious as this, it is important that we do state the facts here and the fact is that vaccinations are useful. But some people are even opting for natural immunity over vaccines. I mean, what's the process involve, involved in that? Well, um, a large degree of idiocy is the process involved in that. So this is the idea that if you are exposed to something and you get it, you're immune. No, you're not. You're infected. That's a different thing. Yeah. Uh, for example, whether it's chickenpox, like there are these these infection parties which drive me up the wall. Yeah, I've read about these and I could not believe what I was reading. So in America, there is a vac- there's, there is a vaccine for chickenpox, by the way. Mm. We just don't tend to use it much over here. The Americans do. And there's an idea that somehow if you get immunity naturally, it's better, right? Well, firstly, that's 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 not true. Makes no sense whatsoever. If you know anything about immunology, that makes zero sense. And the other thing is, you're not actually getting immunity. You're getting infected. And then your immune system, it's like the now you've let, in the bouncer analogy, you've now let that, that vagrant, you know, uh, ruffian into your, into your nightclub and they've trashed the place. And you've put a picture up afterwards going, if he comes back again, after you've cleaned the whole place and all the damage, you're like, okay... We've just recovered, you know, we're, we're not never letting him in again. That's not better than not letting that in in the first place. Yeah, there's no there's, benefit there's, from that. And here's another thing as well. For example, measles has an interesting one. If you get infected by measles, it has long-term ramifications for your immune system. It actually causes a form of, and this is recent research, which is really cool, uh, immunological um, amnesia. As in oh. it kind of makes your immune system forget previous um, antigens it did know. So it actually makes you less likely to fight off infections that you once could. And that goes on for decades after exposure to measles. So these people saying that, 
you know, please just, I mean, I am, I'm, I'm not a medical doctor and I always make that really clear. I'm a cancer scientist and I, I have an interest in vaccination policy and I do advise on it. What I would say to people always is, talk to your damn doctor. Don't go on Instagram. Yeah. You know, well, go on Instagram if you want, but don't take medical, medical advice from advice. it. I mean, the amount of medical professionals I've met that are campaigning for vaccinations and mm. quite frankly, it's soul destroying when they're greeting cases, especially in GP surgeries, yeah, really places yeah. you wouldn't expect. And just the pure exposure of someone being there as well at that point in time can be risky to other people around. A lot of vulnerable people in these places. Well, absolutely. I mean, a friend of mine is a GP and uh, he had a suspected measles case in his waiting room, which mm. means that Guess what? There's now a rake of suspected measles cases in that waiting room. Yeah. This is airborne, highly virulent. You know, it doesn't take much to spread these things around. I, I think that there's the other factor you touch on with, um, or we've alluded to anyway. See, people view, and I occasionally get this, I get a lot of hate mail, um, as you can imagine. Because <laughs> I'm so charming and everything. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I think with every um, opinionated expert, there will always be a, a opposition. Uh, a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I mean, I'm, I'm not even sure if it's opinionated, like if you're just reflecting what the evidence says. No, but I guess some I, people view it that way. No, but, I'm with you on But this. one of the things is, vaccination isn't just for you. And that's something that you... Like, there is this whole thing about my choice, my body. Yeah, kind of. But let's say there's, there are subsections of the population who cannot be vaccinated. Very old people uh, sometimes can't be vaccinated. Very young babies. Now you're, you're an expectant mother. I this know. is obviously on your mind a lot. Yeah. For, sometimes for the first year of her life, won't have a level of protection. Which is why I had to get the whooping cough vaccination, because you can't vaccinate your baby yeah. early enough. Really, really wise decision mm-hmm. as well, because that is a nasty, a nasty and recurrent thing. We're getting outbreaks of that. We hadn't seen them in years, and we're getting them again. Um, the problem is, it's not all about, it's not all about you. I get, I had a friend who's um, since passed on, she, she died in March, but she was on immunotherapy because she was a young woman, looked absolutely healthy, was living with cancer. If I had got the flu, I could have killed her. You know what I mean? Um, Her immune system was just was so, was was so altered, was modified. Down, yeah. You don't know what people are going through. Mm. If someone's had a transplant, they are immune, they're on immunocompromising drugs already. Yeah. There's lots of reasons. Um, 
I, I don't know, I couldn't live on my conscience with the idea that I had, through my own selfishness or ignorance, led directly or, or indirectly to the death of someone else. Imagine being on the London Tube in the morning, and sometimes I, I shouldn't catastrophize like this, but I do think, oh, any one of these people on here could not be vaccinated from something. They're coughing and spluttering, and everyone on this Tube is now at risk of whatever they are carrying. And they are. This is why they advise you not to go to work if you are actually sick. Yeah. Which I admit is advice that I take with a bit of, but I, I have my own office where I hide away so I can <laughs> splutter inside it. I mean, if, if I have we students. stop vaccinations, let's just say, what would Ooh. actually happen to the world if we if we just stopped? Well, we're already kind of seeing that, aren't we? I mean, even... So, and this is to put in perspective, right? Um, herd immunity is a concept that we need to we need to kind of yes. get our heads around. Yes, let's explain that first. Although, I, I, I can tell you a funny story about the kind of <laughs> hateful males I get on that one. <clears throat> the idea is this. If we have enough people immunized, there's a firewall that stops infection. It's like forming, you know, you imagine you have all a cluster of vulnerable people who can't get immunized. If you have enough people vaccinated... It doesn't matter that they're not immunized. They're protected. The virus can't take hold in that society. It's good. Because measles is so virulent, it needs herd immunity of 94 to 95%. So it needs roughly 19 in 20 of us to be vaccinated to protect the people that cannot be vaccinated and ourselves, obviously. Um, We're already seeing dips way below that. Uh, Currently, I believe in the UK, we're going 89, 90%. We had the stat of 90%. Doesn't sound like a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's a difference between being protected or not. Like small, and, and to show you that, that that's happening across Europe. So that goes back to the fi- figure that I, I, I said earlier on, that we had about 5,000 cases of measles in the year 2016 across all of Europe. We had 82,576 cases last year. I can't, every time that number, I just can't get that in my head. And that's the difference between us all bank, best around in the high 90s versus the low 90s. Mm. That is that difference. Mm. It doesn't take much, and this is why anti-vaccine disinformation on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter causes so much damage because it induces vaccine hesitancy and it reduces herd immunity and in doing so it royally you know confounds us all and that is something that I I really hope your listeners take on board because you know I I don't I I, I deal with vaccine hesitant parents an awful lot and they're always trying to do what's best for their kids well that's the thing but what's best for their kids is always 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 vaccination and don't take that from me go and speak to your GP They'll tell you the same thing. It's not that the scientific and medical community are in any big conspiracy. It's that we don't want to see people die needlessly or suffer needlessly. Mm. You don't need an ulterior motive to want the best for society. No, of course. And that's why I really, really wanted to do this episode. It's been something on my mind for a long time. And I think becoming a mum-to-be, I was just like, enough is enough. I don't care how controversial this topic is. We have to discuss it. And it's a very difficult position you're in, obviously, campaigning for vaccination. Like you said, there's a lot of people that don't understand. It's the Dunning-Kruger. There's all these different Mm -hmm. types of elements there. But really, do you think the popularity for this anti-vax movement is is going to continue? How can we, what can we do? I think, um, I mean, this is going to sound like a shameless plug, but uh, uh, vaccination is such an important thing that I wrote a lot the book about it. And in The Irrational Ape, I try to outline how do we stop this? Mm. One of the major problems here, we've always had anti-vaccine activism. That's always been a thing. Why is it so uh, damaging now? And complacency is part of the problem, a small fraction of it. A bigger fraction is that we are terrible at differentiating reputable sources from reprehensible sources. We are bad at parsing information. 
we are very easily misled by what we read online. There's a bit of psychological research on what's called illusory truth effect, which means by repeated exposures to falsehoods, confounds us and makes us doubt even things we know to be true. Oh, yeah. So, common sense is often overridden. What do we have to do? Well, Mm. to get around this, we have to do a few things. One of which is we have to learn to think more like scientists. And by that I mean... We need to employ a level of what's called, you know, uh, Socratic or or scientific scepticism, which is when we're confronted with a claim to not simply accept it, to go mm-hmm, a checklist in our head. Where is that coming from? Is that coming from a reputable source like the WHO, or is this coming from not just a single expert, but is this scientific consensus? Mm-hmm. You always get the odd individual inverted commas expert who's saying something that's total nonsense. That doesn't make them right. What actually makes a scientist is only speaking with any authority, or or, or a doctor when they are quoting the evidence base. On their own, they have no authority. I don't have any authority. If I go off-piste and start making stuff up, I'm no longer speaking as a scientist and my scientific qualifications become void. Can you imagine if I did this podcast without you? I'm not an expert in the field of vaccinations. <laughs> it would be absolutely shocking, yeah. But but at the same time, like I, 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 don't necess- I have some expertise, but I wouldn't necessarily say I'm an expert. What I would say is I can quote the scientific evidence, as you can and you do, to say this is what the scientific consensus is and anyone can do this this but is that's back to dunning kruger like you yeah, said those yeah. that actually are aware will never claim to be an expert or think they know it all yeah yeah well i, I always think i know it all but that's because <laughs> i'm cynical i'm cynical and i want to be but i think one of the things that's really important is that people feel disempowered the irony of our time and the paradox of our time to some extent is that we've never had easier access to information but that same double-edged sword means that we've never been more exposed to falsehoods and we become a little bit apathetic and scared and just, you know, we don't know what to believe. We go, oh, what do we believe? I think people need to realize that they can empower themselves to get this information. For example, over here, the NHS website, absolutely fantastic resource on vaccination. The WHO, great resource. The Center for Disease Control in America. These are all reputable central sources. You can go to the Royal Colleges of Physicians and you will find the same information. These people are all singing from the same choir and then ask, why? Because that's what the evidence says. When you find the individual cranks giving you nonsense and it's always in a meme or something. Or, you know, oh, some, I've you been sent screenshots of complete pseudoscience on the internet the minute I went on honeymoon regarding the Zika virus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of... People are terrified, quite frankly. And I had a lot of people saying, I can't believe you're traveling abroad when you're pregnant. I can't believe you're going. And I was, I was being sent screenshots of, to be honest with you, unreputable sources of Absolutely. information. And, you know, if I wasn't who I who I am with my level of education, that could have absolutely terrified me. It does. And I mean, I deal with, with, with again, vaccine hesitant parents all the time. And I don't think, I think education is part of it. Oddly enough, anti-vaccine sentiment is greater in the middle classes with good education. Now, you might ask, why is that? Because only people who are middle class are arrogant enough to think they know more than their doctors, right? And 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 think that they. And, and I always joke like I, I'm obviously middle. <laughs> whatever, I'm obviously middle class. I don't know what the <laughs> obvious marker is, but I've been privileged with a good education, and yeah. um, you know, we got to go to school, go to uni. That's it. Yeah. But it's my peers, it's my social grouping, and yours as well, yeah. that are the worst at this. Because it takes a certain level of narcissism to think, hey, you know that highly trained medical expert and that entire body of medical experts? I know more than them because I went on Facebook this morning. 
No, you didn't. You're still an idiot. You're just an idiot with money. And talking of social media, I mean, how can we hold these individuals accountable? There's so much talk about that this year, David. With mm. 2019 seems to be the year <coughs> where social media is finally starting to be, or dare I say, a little bit more regulated or questioned. You see, I, I think, and maybe this becomes inadvertently political and I don't mean it to, I think the only way that Google, Facebook, Twitter, apart from paying, they pay lip service all the time but they don't do anything. For example, Facebook made a big thing. They met with the Irish health minister. We had a HPV vaccine confidence crisis a few years ago and we're still getting over it. And we've done great work. Ireland actually is now a case study for how you get over it. And I can talk about that a little bit later if you'd like. But our health minister met with Facebook who made a big thing about now when you search vaccines, it comes up with, you know, reputable sources first, which it does. Except they haven't stopped taking money from anti-vaccine groups. That was reported a few days later. Social media, it's never going to be in their interest to regulate it. Because or the companies, because they don't care. They don't. They didn't care when they got you know Donald Trump elected. They're not going to care now. It's because engagement drives their business. You click things, you see ads, they make money. They don't care. If you want to hang out in a group of people, your echo chamber of anti-vaccine people, and there's fifty thousand of you, they're all making the money from that. So they're not going to get rid of that community. So we cannot expect social media companies or Google to self-regulate. What we need, and this is where it gets accidentally political. We will probably need someone like the European Union to put directives to do that. And I believe they will. I mean, I can't say too much, but I am involved in a little bit of negotiation on that. Um, whether the UK remains in or out. Oh, uh, do you know uh, what? I feel like since the podcast began, this has been a discussion. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> I have opinions on it, but uh, yeah. I, we, we all want you to stay. But at the same time... Um, we we want a lot of your politicians I, I to know show what, up. Let's not even go into Brexit. <laughs> yeah. We're going to move on to questions from followers, David. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> so um, Delilah has said, I'm in my mid-20s and haven't had any jabs since being at school. Do I need to go for a checkup? Well, I, I would say go to your GP and just ask when you're in your next visit and go, is there anything I get? Because sometimes you might need a booster. I, I, again, I don't know anyone's medical history. No, not, a, not a medical professional making these points. Um, but it's no harm in asking. Yeah. And there are records kept of what you've been immunised against and what you aren't. So you know. I think your GP, Delilah, would rather you go and at least raise the question than sit at home worrying about it, I think. And no harm. They might tell yeah. you, no, you've got all you need. Great. Yeah. But they might say, oh, you could get this as well. And particularly if you're travelling and stuff as well. You know, there are different travel. I'm sure you got a few on your trip. There's travel vaccinations as yeah. well for different areas where a disease might be common that isn't common. Like most of the tropical fevers that we have vaccines for, you don't get in Birmingham, you yeah. know, so. And we are so fortunate, guys, all of you to have access in the UK to these types of services. We are so lucky. Uh, we really are. If you look at the moment in places like Samoa and uh, par- parts of others, there's, there's massive measles outbreak. And part of the reason, well, again, are what we discussed, but there's also in some countries a shortage of measles vaccines, a shortage of vaccine. There's even a shortage worldwide of a HPV vaccine. And yet in the UK, because it's a first world country with the NHS, you can get this for free. There are literally people dying in other countries to try and get these. Again, the middle class complacency always staggers me. When you see footage of villagers in, in, you know, destitute areas queuing up to get vaccines because they've seen the damage that the disease can do versus us complacent Westerners, it does... It does go a little bit. It's free for us. That's mad. A hundred percent. I mean, this is an interesting question. Karis, is that how I say your name? Karis? I think that's a lovely name. Um, I've heard there's mercury in vaccines. Is this true? And can it actually be safe? Thermosol. Yeah. No. Okay. So that's like saying I've heard there's hydrogen in water. Of course there is. It's part of the chemical formula. It's not the same 
is ethyl mercury. It's not the same thing that causes like mercury poisoning. Great. It's used as a preservative. It's not used anymore, actually, oddly enough, because people got so panicky over it, they removed it. They shouldn't have. And this is, again, this is again middle-class privilege in a big way. I'm going very politically, I don't mean to. No, um, no, no. It was removed even though it actually makes vaccines last longer, which means that your stock has to be replaced, which disadvantages the poorest communities that can barely afford them. And it was taken out because of misinformation about it. I don't think it ever should have been. I think we should have kept it in. Um, and once we took it out and they used other things like aluminium uh, um, or a, a, a byproduct of that, people went mad about that too. It just shows you the, the anti-vaxxers don't care about the truth. They care about the memes. They yeah. love saying, also, you get more of that kind of mercury eating a little bit of tuna. Yeah, you get actually. more formaldehyde eating an apple. Yeah. Like the point is, as Parcella said in the 15th century, the dose maketh the poison. There is so little of anything in a vaccine and the vast and then there's like what five milliliters of fluid and a how of much chemical, do you think you're going to get yeah and I think these words can scare people they hear uh, one yeah. word like mercury or like I said hydrogen or any scientific term can terrify people absolutely Beth has said that um, after amount of time can you become resistant to vaccinations and this is actually really interesting maybe we should touch on antibiotics quickly as well like can what's happening at the moment not Per se, um, I'm going to answer this very diplomatically. Okay. Um, you can't become resistant to vaccinations because every vaccine is designed for the antigen it's protecting against. Yeah. They're all different. The only way you can be immune to vaccine if your immune system stopped working, and that would be a problem for an entirely different reason. I think what might be happening there is there's a mix-up with antibiotic resistance, which is a major problem. Exactly. And this is the idea that um, we go to our doctor and we feel a bit sick and we demand an antibiotic. Now, antibiotics are major lifesavers. They're just underneath vaccination for things that humans have invented. Like, years ago, if you got a scratch, it became infected, you could die. People died getting cut in their rose bushes, you know, things like that. And we don't get that anymore because we have penicillin and we have all the drugs and you know, all the other ones that we have the problem is that bacteria evolve and if we overuse these things the the bacteria themselves can become resistant immune to them they're very clever they're they're it's a constant example of, of evolutionary struggle it's mm-hmm. a beautiful um it's also 160 years since Charles Darwin published on the origin of species. That was the anniversary was yesterday. So the evolution that uh, bacteria go under is a classic example. So they eventually, the ones that are immune to this, uh, they thrive. The problem is we now have a species of bacteria and whatever disease that our, our drugs don't work. So we have to try a new one and a new one and a new one. And there's plenty, for example, I don't want to scare people, but there is like, for example strains of gonorrhea that are now treatment resistant. There are strains of tuberculosis that are now treatment resistant. And the reason why is partly because we've been overusing antibiotics. This is why your doctors will say to you, please finish the course of antibiotics. There's no point half killing the bacteria um, and then the ones still survive and the ones that are survive are now immune. You want to wipe them entirely out and not let them spread. Uh, also, livestock, now it's not a big problem in Europe, it's a big problem in America, where they give antibiotics to livestock to bulk them up and they create resistance there. So I think the mix-up there is... That's a real serious, potentially humanity-wiping-out kind of level of, of And good of, of that danger. you actually made the distinction that they don't do that here in Europe, so please don't worry, because I get yeah. that a lot about well, they antibiotics won't, and food. They, they won't do it unless Brexit happens and you start importing American oh, chicken. Okay, we're not going there. We are not going there. The last <coughs> question. Megan has said, I took my child for their primary vaccination. However, it failed. Why is this? It failed? I'm I'm sorry, I'm not qualified to answer that question because I've never heard that as an outcome of vaccination. No, that's an interesting like one. It's, it's not a... I mean, unless what they mean is that the vaccine 
wasn't 100% effective, which none really are. They're very effective, but they're still going to be, you know, holes that they don't always work or the yeah, strain yeah. of virus you get exposed to. The flu vaccine is a classic example. Mm. So flu, the flu vaccine, they, they estimate will protect you at 70% of the time. Uh, because the strains evolve so like quickly. Like you said, you don't know which strain's going to be coming exactly. around the corner. Exactly, but 70% is a lot better than 0%. Yes. Uh, that maybe that's what they mean, and that can happen, but I, I don't really understand the question. No, lie. don't worry. I think that still gave a pretty good answer, though. So that moves me on to the fun part of the podcast, the Fact or Fiction Round. And you are the original creator of the word faction on this podcast. Do you know how many guests since you came on? Because you were on in series two, I think. I think your first episode in Technology With Us was series yeah. two of Food for Thought. This, and we're now much further down the line. And if, if enough scientists can't answer, they merge the two words now. Because I said, well, one of our guests has said faction instead of fact or fiction. <laughs> so you are the originator of the word. I, I shall take my royalties in, in, in whiskey. <laughs> Who needs a best-selling book when you it, can come up with it. a word? Okay, so <laughs> are you ready? You have to answer fact or fiction to the following. All right, let's do it. Getting protection by catching the diseases is better than having the vaccine. Absolute fiction. The MMR vaccine contains three viruses, giving all three at one time that's too much for young children. Absolute fiction. In fact, immune immune overload is an urban legend. doesn't work. And also it doesn't contain live viruses because that would be dumb. Brilliant. Vaccinations prevent two to three million deaths globally every year. At least. Yes, true. Social media has fueled the concern about vaccines. A hundred percent true. Yeah, we don't like that one. Measles, mumps and rubella are rare in the UK, so there's no need to immunise. Firstly, they're not rare. Secondly, if they are relatively rare compared to what they were years ago, it's because we have widespread vaccination. So we do need to immunise and be shut up. There we go. If you have had one, does that mean there's no need for a second one? Uh, that will all depend on the type of vaccination you're getting. It'll depend. For the HPV is usually given in three courses. Measles usually, get, most rebellious usually given as a single, then a booster later on. Again, talk to your physician. They will always steer you the right way. Perfect. In 2018, there were nearly four times as many measles cases in England. Oh, yeah, at least. Ooh, GPs are paid for each vaccination done. <laughs> I wish. No, they're not. I think that's a very common mis- um, misinformation. Where do they, like, I'm going to jump in there with a little Here thing. Here go. Vaccinations are low-yield product. Pharmaceutical companies have no major interest in making them because you use them once or twice and then you don't. There's no money in that. In fact, less than 1% of all pharmaceutical profits in the world are related to vaccination. Drugs for diabetes and cancer and chronic conditions make way more money. So when people say this, it shows you that they know bugger all is the nicest way to say it. There's a fact for you guys out there. Um, There are multiple side effects to having vaccines. Yeah, not getting a disease. That's a really good side effect. I quite like that one. Side, you know what? People go, are there side effects? Your arm gets a bit sore. Oh, it really That's, does. Yeah, get yeah. Sore. yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I've, I'm, I, got, I get jabbed so often now that I'm like, I don't even feel it anymore. Oh, I couldn't but lift my arm. It's a bit sore, but it's, it's a lot better than the alternative. Yeah. So I think that's always a. And it, it resolves in about a day. Like it's it, it does. Mine went after two to three days. Uh, 91% of parents agreed that vaccines were important for their children's health. I'd imagine that's true, but I'm not sure, is it? I don't actually know. I was hoping you would have come over. We pulled that well, one there, from. I, I imagine that they came from the, the International Welcome one where they surveyed vaccine attitudes. That was done that earlier this year. Right. And that sounds like the figure, but I, 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 I don't hold me to that. It does sound like it's from that. But I, I would believe so. that. I believe the majority of people, yeah. and this goes by saying, are in, in favour of vaccination. It just takes a small minority of, I, can't, I was about to say something insulting again, um, to cause serious damage by driving the... And it doesn't have to drive the rates down much, just enough 
where things become endemic. That's where it needs to go to. Well, that was an excellent, very concise fact or fiction round. Thank you so much. Uh, That does nearly wrap up the episode. But as with every guest, we always finish with the food for thought. So mine today, and I think after actually having this conversation it's really, really important that vaccines are there for a reason. They don't just directly impact you or the people that are having them. It's everyone else around you. It's a safer society by people getting them done. Social media, to all of our listeners out there, now you know on Food for Thought that we are an evidence-based podcast and the rise of coverage that vaccinations get isn't always positive, as we have discussed. Fake news has led to immense amounts of confusion amongst the general public. Removing the noise, so I hope that you've taken a lot from today's episode of going back to basics. It's so imperative, guys, to remember the vital role that these vaccines can have on all of us. The serious implications, if you don't have them, should be should be definitely at least considered. I don't even know how to phrase that, really, but I know we're busy. We have concerns of our own, but the GP will never get angry if you just pop in. If you have a question, you can vaccinate a child and you can vaccinate yourself. I think I should hand it over to you, really, David, to leave our listeners with one final food for thought because it's been such a passionately covered topic. And what would you like to share with our listeners? I think what's really important, and and maybe a reiteration of what we have said, is that there are people, particularly online, who have no problems sharing falsehood, who have no problems engaging in in, in a deception or, or, or being mendacious. And what's really, really important is that we learn how to distinguish the reputable from the reprehensible. And if you're in doubt, which is totally normal, ask for advice from an expert. And just treat everything you read online with a scepticism. And this goes not just for vaccination, this goes for everything. Scepticism should be our default response, particularly for scary claims. We shouldn't let our lizard brain dominate with something scary, therefore not. We need to reframe things too and realise that you know, we might go, oh, if I get the vaccination, maybe a scary thing will happen. The reality is, if you don't get the vaccination, maybe a scary thing happens. And that reframing is very, very important. I could not agree more. And even the best of us have those little niggly doubts. I had it when people were messaging me about my flu jab or my Zika virus, you know. But like David said, please speak to someone and ask for help. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing such invaluable information on our podcast. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, you will absolutely love what's coming next week. So make sure you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please do leave a five-star review. It really does help to get our podcast out there to reach those higher highs in the charts and to help more people. For more information about my Retrition Clinic, books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube.